Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome back to season seven of Talking with Traders. We're now into the fourth year of this podcast since it started in early 2020. Once again, IG have come on board as our sponsor for this season. We are truly privileged and grateful to have such a global leader in CFD trading as our sponsor. Over the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing various guests from around the globe on the topic of trading. Some will be follow-ups with past guests and some will be new guests. The idea behind this podcast is that you get a variety of views from a broad spectrum of market professionals. None of what you hear in these episodes is intended to be financial advice, but it is intended to get you thinking about how you might be able to apply what you hear here into your own trading and investing. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified when new episodes are released. Once again, thank you to IG for funding and sponsoring this podcast into its fourth year. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Please enjoy Season 7 of Talking with Traders. Welcome back to Talking with Traders, the podcast. And this time, it takes us to Cape Town, where we've got a new guest on the line. His name is Dylan Bradfield. He's from sharenet.co.za. Welcome, Dylan. It's good to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to connect with you. Uh, as I always do with new guests on this podcast, I like to just get a little bit of a background. Uh, I think many of the listeners to this podcast will know about ShareNet, will have certainly heard about ShareNet, possibly don't know as much as they should about ShareNet, which we're going to talk about during the podcast. But first of all, let's just get a little bit of a background into you and the path that your career has taken to this point. Yes, certainly. Um, yeah, Garth, like any individual, um, post uh, school, I actually took a gap year into London, uh, found myself working you know, close to the financial services industry, got a very early sort of taste for stock market and stock market traders. Um, and um, after being actually offered a job there, my realization was it was probably better to come back to South Africa, in particular Cape Town, do my tertiary education, uh, which I finished to become economics and finance, um, went on to do CFA um, and found myself, you know, working within sort of the asset management realm early in sort of 2004, 2005. Okay. All right. And and from that point onwards, I mean, you, you've been at ShareNet not all that long, as far as I can recall. Um, yeah. You did a bit of time in the asset management space between then and uh, and joining ShareNet, yeah? Yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, first off, starting at Old Mutual in the uh, Specialized Finance Division, which was an early sort of test on the derivative side, um, I saw myself um, looking for more, um, you know, tending to, towards the, what are the trading aspect. Um, unfortunately, through some interviewing processes, started at Ford Asset Management, where I did almost 14 years as an equity derivatives trader um, and sort of honed the skill within sort of understanding the institutional flows into the market, the dynamic within South African market, which is always uh, a little bit different than, um, you know, your, your standard run of the mill S&P. Um, and, you know, from there, I sort of uh, described that I wanted to grow, grow within the sector, grow within myself. Um, I found myself working for a hedge fund a couple of years later, 
um, only to be uh, cut short due to COVID. Um, and that sort of brought me about to ShareNet, um, where I've joined there as a portfolio manager, uh, wealth uh, advisor, and sort of a, I suppose if you look on my Twitter account, sort of a retail trade um, enthusiast. Yes. So you mentioned your Twitter account, and it actually was that that drew me to interview you. Um, obviously, yes. I'd heard about you through the market, but also watching your content on Twitter really got me interested because you tweet some really insightful, interesting stuff. Uh, there, there's a lot of nonsense on Twitter, but if you sift around and you follow the right people, you actually get some really interesting content. And I'm happy to say your your tweets always you know, seem to land up near the top of my feed because I do like a lot of them. And obviously the Twitter algorithm has picked up that I like a lot of your tweets. And I like them because you, you, you're quite disciplined. I get that feeling, quite disciplined. And you've got quite a rigorous process and quite consistent with the way that you analyze the market and the way that you generate ideas. Uh, and, and that's really what I wanted to talk to you about now. Um, you know, could, could you take us through the process that you follow to select a trade so if, from starting from a to all the way to Z, like what does it look like? What are the screeners you use, the filters, etc.? Yes, sure. Garth. Um, yeah, we've come a long way. Um, you know, if you asked me this question a couple of years ago, I'd say it's many hours behind sort of graphs and just sort of looking for something that stands out or muscle memory on a stock, you know, that's um, doing what you wanted to do on a daily basis. But you know, with technology and, you know, the evolution of broader scans, um, we're able to bring a lot of information to the table. Uh, traders are able to sort of look where momentum is starting to build, uh, to, to pull a story together, so to speak. Um, I use the word intuition quite often when I speak to uh, other traders that are coming into the market and they always ask me what that entails. And I say, you know, the best answer I can give is, you know, having spent almost 20 years behind the desk looking at markets, you, you get a feel for the markets, you get an understanding. Um, most of the time, if you're looking to build a trade or, or initiate on a trade, it kind of has to make intuitive sense to what's going on in the broader market. Um, and, you know, if there's defensive positioning that you're seeing coming into the market, it seems quite foolhardy to go and start putting on a high beta trade if it's not giving you the right signal. So, um, to go back to the question on how do I scan, I have a quite a bespoke system, which I could talk through. Um, you know, evidently, you're either looking to buy a share that's in either a sort of a downtrending market or, or a downtrending slope, or a share that's been consolidating and building on higher bases, trying to go higher. Um, I specifically try and look for two scans that to get me into the market. The one is a price crossover on the EMEA and a simultaneous um, MACD cross on the zero. Now, MACD, cross, sorry, MACD cross on the signal line. Now, that's quite commonly used on a standalone basis as a buy or sell signal, depending on where the cross is. What I've found over time is that you have more higher quality setups for continuation if the eight EMEA crosses over the price with a simultaneous cross of the MACD on the signal line. Now that gets me into the trade. It gets me looking at the position. If I've missed the entry point, it's on my radar for the next day. And what I mean by that is if that stock behaves quite well in the morning session, I predominantly look for the first one to two hours of trade. If that starts to build a base and looks like it wants to take out the previous day's highs, 
then I enter the position with a little bit more um, of a position take on. Um, second to that, um, there is another sequence that I look to to get into the trade. Um, this time I use the 21 uh, uh, exponential moving average. Uh, why I've chosen the 8 and 21 is, is more of a self-study through uh, Scott Redler, who I followed quite predominantly through COVID. Uh, I thought that his you know understanding of the markets and the technicals made a lot more sense than just going and using a 10 or 20 a day uh, standards or simple moving average. The exponential is a little bit faster, so that means that you, you're trying to get into the trade at, at a good pace and at the right level. Um, also knowing quite often that there's going to be institutional flow that tries to shake you out of your position. Um, so I adapted a secondary tiered level where I want to add to my winning trade or my entry um, and that goes with the price crossing of the 21 EMEA. And in this regard, I also add a simultaneous um, uh, look through on the RSI. And the RSI, if I'm bullish, needs to show a movement over 50. Uh, predominantly a 52 plus reading is a better score for me. And vice versa, if I'm looking to add to a short, uh, you would be looking for an RSI level coming under 48. And, and that gets you my you know, my one to two uh, point entry, uh, and that gets me into the trade uh, as a standalone. Okay, so it's, it's it sounds like it's kind of like a trend following type of process, I suppose, um, you know, listening to you. Eight, eight EMEA, which is for the, the uh, uninitiated listening EMEA, is, it's exponential moving average is what it stands for. Um, so the eight exponential moving average and the 21 exponential moving average. And are you looking at these on daily charts? Yes, that's correct. Um, okay. uh, the, the strength in the weeklies um, is always a good go-to. Um, uh, and just for you know my type of trade or edification, I, I use the dailies. But it, as I said you know, to other people before, this type of uh, scan can work on different sort of time frames. It's just to whatever kind of investor you are, if you're a right. swing trader, sculptor, et cetera. Mm. Okay. All right. So you want okay. So you want eight I mean in the example of a of a long trade, you want your eight EMA to cross above your twenty one EMA, right? Uh, and, I want and, the eight to cross over uh, sorry, the price to cross over the eight and yeah. then D to give me a simultaneous crossover on the signal line. Uh, and that I built a scan around. And then the secondary move is for the price to cross over the 21. And that also has to have a simultaneous reading with the RSI. And the RSI obviously needs to be over 50 for the bullish and then under 50 for the bearish. Okay. All right. So there's effectively, if I'm right, there's four components that you effectively right. tick, ticking off to say, yes, this is a valid trade or or, or no, it's not valid yet. Yes. All yes. right. And, uh, and I mean, are you pretty disciplined about that? Do you ever take trades that are outside of that system based on a bit of gut feel or in, you mentioned intuition? Yes, absolutely. So that's, you know, when I go back to the word intuition, you know, when I look for the scan, you've got to go look at the graph. If yeah. the graph is telling you, yes, I have a reading, but, you know, the the, the share price is pulling down six straight days um, and breaking down just because I'm getting that signal. It doesn't mean I want to rush in and buy. So there is an overlay of what the pattern is telling me. If it's close to creating a stronger bullish pattern, then obviously my bias with that sort of um, moving average metric and MACD or RSI signal can then sort of help 
uh, convey a story. Uh, and that gives me more confidence in, in sort of um, what kind of size I want to put on the trade, which we'll probably get to next. Um, but also, you know, uh, when the market is giving you an opportunity, it, it's you've got to move fast. Um, and moving with these scans is a very good way to, uh, to sort of help me pinpoint where I need to put my buy level and where I need to be wary of, you know, um, it's not working level as well, which is obviously your stop loss. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that, that was exactly my next question was to talk to you about risk management, because obviously uh, it's great to have a, a rigorous system that puts you in the market and, and if you can apply that consistently, that that helps a hell of a lot. And also, just from listening to what you're saying, and with my knowledge of technicals, I can understand that doing that it's it's simple, but it's a it's a high probability way of looking at the market. And often, the simpler, the better. Actually, yeah. So so you're putting the odds in your favor, which is great. But the next step is that even when and I we we all know this as traders, you can have the best looking setup in the world. And you think, wow, this one is, this is the one, you know, it, it ticks all the boxes. And even those ones sometimes just don't work. The market will do what it's going to do. And there are times when, you know, your, your, your A plus setup just doesn't work for you. And for that reason, we have to employ risk management. So what, what is your philosophy uh, around risk management? How do you make sure that, you know, you don't get carried out on individual trades? What does that all look like? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, as you said, I think we've all worn it once or twice before. The best sort of lesson that I can sort of uh, uh, ascribe to is if if I'm in the market and I'm trading, I'm very cognizant of what sector I'm trading. And obviously, if I'm trading small cap, mid cap uh, or large top 40. Now, uh, liquidity being a huge issue in our markets um, always gets me thinking about sizing about um, sort of overnight positioning. Um, if I'm trading in, say, for a small cap or a mid cap and I get a signal, a buy signal, I actually am very cautious um, on the move, knowing that in a certain day, 100,000 shares can trade and you can move a share to create that signal. And then the next day it drops 4%. So and we go back to the simplicity of what actually trading wall is about, and that's price and volume. Um, so volume has to really belie um, what I'm seeing. So I'll always try and identify if that is a signal that is a false signal or if it's something, you know, that is actually warming up and, and I want to get going on. So separation of whether it's a mid cap or a large cap. If it's a mid cap, I'm obviously going to take a smaller positioning, say margin side of maybe 5% of my portfolio. Um, if it's a top 40 stock, or maybe it will go as high as like 7% to 10% if I have conviction on the trade. Yet again, just going back to this sort of a strategy to which I attest or I how I enter my trade, it's sort of a tiering system. I don't go one shot in. I try and average and notably average on the up. There were two other sort of um, sort of moving average or, or trigger events that I look for to add to. The other one is also an 8 and 21 EMEA crossover. That also has to have some kind of significance on the RSI. Again, over 50 or 52 is relevant on the buy side and under 50 to 48 is on the sell side. Um, and that also then runs through onto, you know, my final sort of look through where a lot of the times the price will try and push through the 50 EMEA um, I look for relevance where you can have a move through the 50 EMEA 
but there has to be some kind of other oscillator giving a signal beyond that. And for me, that is the MACD actually pushing through the zero bound. So again, I'm looking for a simultaneous move of price moving through 50 EMEA, as well as the MACD crossing the zero bound. And for me, that is one of the surest ways of a continuation trade or absolute like reversal. Um, there's many times in a sort of a downtrend or uptrend where the stock will either hit the top of the 50 EMEA pullback. Uh, and notably, what I've noticed is that the MACD always uh, or never, I don't want to say sorry, never, but most of the times doesn't get through that zero bound. And that's to me actually becomes one of my sell signals um, if I'm long. So, you know, I think also understanding your entry, entry points, what um, is important is obviously knowing where to exit your trades. Yes. Um, and beyond that, so risk management, um, I apply uh, lower margining for mid cap and small cap. And then for large cap, essentially just a bigger weighting because I know there's liquidity in the morning. Um, and yeah, I, I sort of uh, resonate with that kind of uh, thinking. Okay. All right. Super. And I mean, if you had to look back over the last year or so, if you have statistics on this and, and are willing to divulge it, I mean, uh, what is what percentage of your trades are winners versus losers? Um, that's a very hard sort of uh, tabulation for me. What yeah. I focus on more uh, is not so much the win and loss rates, uh, more about uh, the, the dripping in the bucket. So for me, it's about actually the end score, uh, how much money I've actually made, you know, I can have a trade, for instance, I'll use the example where I have two bad trades um, and essentially one good one, but the net result is that I actually made more money on the one that was a winner mm. and the two losers, you know, I was able to get the stop loss in time and let the one that did win run its course. So, um, yeah, I, I focus more on that. Um, if I focus more on my win-loss ratio, I think uh, I would become more um, sort of, E eagerly trying to manage that system as opposed yeah. to managing the net result. Um, so, you know, I have done tasks before where I have tried to run and see where I got to. I think at certain points in my life, I've ranged between 65 and 85, just to give a broad understanding um, uh, of, you know, um, of, of a win-loss ratio. Again, you know, I think any trader over 60% is quite happy over time. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you're hitting 75 plus, you probably are in a higher echelons where, you know, you are scoring quite high, you know, at that time as well, risk management, you might be thinking, geez, I'm hitting it out the park. Maybe it's time to sort of size down because we all know that there's always something lurking around the corner. So for me, it's it's actually a combination of, you know, a lot of things um, and, and sort of trying to get the, the data on a day-to-day basis. Just, yeah, it, it's, it hasn't fallen into my realm of how I trade for me, it's just about, you know, bottom line, is it growing? Is it growing in the right direction? If not, you know, then it's obviously a time to look into sort of the strategy if it's working. Uh, to date, I haven't had to question it. So, yeah, I'm quite happy with where I am. Yeah. Okay, super. So then, I mean, I, I, the next question, which, which I suspect you also might not then be able to give me a straight answer either, is is the, the average size of winners versus losers uh, in a percentage basis. Um, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't even I don't look at that. Uh, what I do try and do, I think, uh, Garth, to be sort of more mindful, is uh, I do journal a little bit. Um, yeah. Journal about what was 
um, a catalyst or a trigger to get into a trade, what worked, what didn't work. Um, and slowly my focus becomes more on sticking to that purpose. And, and that obviously then runs through, do I keep, you know, focus? Do I keep discipline? Um, did I go outside of my focus? Did I break the discipline? Um, you know, for me, it's more about, you know, um, am I sticking to my strengths? More case of, you know, am I sort of um, foregoing my weaknesses? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. A lot of traders system hop. They will, you know, have some rules, create a couple of rules, find that they hit a difficult patch, and then they suddenly just throw the rules out the out the window and try and find the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Um, you you deal with a lot of retail traders. So do I. I've my whole career has mostly been with retail traders for the most part. Um, and I've seen this over and over. You know, guys just can't seem to stick to a system and ride it through the ups and downs and the difficult times and the good times. Uh, yeah, I get the feeling from you that you're quite rigid. You're quite disciplined. You 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 stick to your system. You know, there's no holy grail in this business, is there? No, there certainly isn't. And um, for those that try and sell you, I think they are selling fool's gold. Um, mm. I think, you know, understanding your strengths becomes highly important. Um, You know, none of this is really a a career unless you have full discipline. Knowing what works for you does take time. Um, Knowing what doesn't work for you also takes time. Um, For me, it's about having spent, I think, you know, that's the expression, you spend 10,000 hours behind something and you become sort of a professional. I think... There's a lot of traders that try to cut corners. They try to use technology. They try to use quick fix. They try to use signals, alerts. That's perfect if it works for you. I think if you want to become a long-term trader and understand, as I said, the intuition of the markets, you need to apply a little bit more beyond just technical analysis. You actually need to understand a little bit more about the markets, what's dragging, what's creating the flow dynamics, you know, on a daily basis. A lot of people will go, oh, I think I'm going to buy banks today and the stock bank stocks fall 4% and they won't have seen that the RAND blew out and then they're sort of holding their head. You know, there's so many examples where, you know, you just need a little bit more intuition. Uh, The technicals will help uh, assimilate that intuition. It'll tell you if you're right or if you're wrong. Um, And, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. The, the, the word disciplines come up a couple of times in this conversation. And you know, as traders will know, you do need to be disciplined. It's one of the most important words in trading is being disciplined. Uh, it also, I think, in, in a large part, I suppose, you, know, you need to be disciplined in your life in general, just outside of trading. So I want to ask you that question. You know, are you, you, you certainly come across as very disciplined in the way that you analyze the market, the processes that you type, that you follow. Um, what about the rest of your life? Are you quite a disciplined person in life in general? Uh, yeah, you know, um, from a morning routine, um, I'm quite sort of open-minded to how my day starts. What I would really like to always try and um, sort of push through and my morning starts is to be in front of the the opening market and that can range at least between half past eight um, depending on futures and then going through until at least 10 o'clock mm. uh, to which point you know I want to give some focus to my clients um, which I try and then uh, push through on a, uh, a morning a late morning basis and then you know for myself it's also about getting out doing something for yourself 
our, our days and hours can be long depending on what market you want to trade or where you see your sort of your strengths. To me, I like to mix it up a bit with uh, the US market. So I find myself having to, you know, push myself to do something for what we call sort of the sleepy um, period of the market, which ranges for me between sort of 12 and 2. Um, and that can entail a, a range of things. One is either going to gym. Um, up until more recently, it was going and picking up my son from school and spending at least half an hour with him. Um, and then, yeah, trying to wrap up things, you know, if it's a quiet day around five o'clock, just into the close and then spending time, you know, uh, or trying to see, you know, friends at least on a one or two week basis, you know, get you out of the house and get your brain, uh, you know, refreshed. It's always good to have, you know, uh, other opinions from other traders as well. Mm. So I also make time to try and meet up with a couple of guys based here in Cape Town. Um, and yeah, you know, it's 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 kind of a routine, but it's uh, it's working. Yeah, that's great. And the whole thing of working from home and with kids, I mean, I know you said you've got a young, just newborn baby in the house and, and your, your eldest a little, little older. Um, you know, young kids are tough. I mean, I've been there, done that. Mine, mine are nine and six years old now. So, you know, I know what it's like having small kids in the house. They're very consuming, very demanding. And, you know, how, how does that, uh, how do you fit that in with your trading to try and create that life and work balance? Yeah. yeah, so I must say, God, it's been very tough. Um, you know, the uh, we actually initially had um, a place out in Seapoint, which is a three-bedroom house, uh, apartment, a big apartment, uh, and it felt like we were all living on top of each other at one stage. Um, and, you know, fortunately, through trading um, and success of trading, uh, you know, we've been able to up upgrade our lifestyle to um, a, a beautiful part of Constantia, rebuilt a house um, to sort of our, our, our dream house. Um, and, um, I think with those space in, in, in the house now, you know, we can, uh, obviously put our offices on one side and our yeah. kids on the other side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, the bigger adjustment, in fact, in the early stages was obviously more of a load shedding issue than it was my kids. Um, um, but yeah, no, it was an early, uh, struggle. I think I've sort of mastered it right now. Um, uh, but there are pros and cons. You know, the, the blessing of waking up and being able to go and, you know, hug them and see if they're okay is, is, is brilliant. Mm. You know, the downside is that they start teething and they start crying and then you're, you know, you're distracted from that basis. So, yeah. Pros and cons. Yeah, pros and cons, absolutely. <clears throat> and uh, I know I've been there with young little kids in the house. At least you, you're able to, to to develop a bigger house down there in Constantia. If I had to do that here in the UK, I would need millions and millions of pounds. <laughs> so the best that I could do is I moved my office out into the gar garage, which is where yeah, I'm sitting right now. And uh, it, it's, it's certainly helped a lot from a perspective of not being distracted by what's going on in the house. It allows me to focus a bit more. Yeah. And and what about emotions? I mean, you, you you know, this game of trading can be an emotional roller coaster. It can take you to the depths of despair sometimes when things are not working and you string a couple of losses together and it's, you know, day in and day out of struggle. But then at the same time, you also have those periods where it all goes well, it all goes according to plan and you can feel on top of the world. Uh, the highs and lows are quite extreme in this game. But most of the traders that I've followed who are, the most successful, I suppose, try to manage those emotions. I can, I, I don't think they ever lose the emotions. They just try and remain relatively even keeled. What, what, where do you stand on that? I mean, how do you keep the emotions in check? 
I think that's probably one of the most important questions to be asked. Um, you, uh, I'll, I'll step back. You know, I, I, as a trader, I used to be, try and bury the emotions, um, and until I had a very bad uh, trade uh, uh, hit me and it emotionally woke me up. Um, and I actually sought uh, to find a coach to help sort of get my mindset right. Um, that process took three months. It was a whole unraveling. Um, uh, and, you know, subsequently, you know, over the last 18 to 24 months, the, my trading success, my trading turnaround, um, just from, you know, having awareness to the emotions and not just discounting them, you know, putting them in place, uh, realizing that there will be losses. I think as a trader before that, I used to believe that I wasn't ever going to make a loss. So when a loss um, and a big one, it sort of shook my foundations. But I think with the, the coaching and the training, you start to realize you're a game of probabilities. Your goal is to make sure that you are in control of those probabilities. Now, how you control those probabilities is the same way you, you control your emotions. Trading size matters. If I'm over trading or trading a, a position outside of my comfort, it's going to create emotional distress. My probabilities become out of sync. Um, and so, you know, managing all of that becomes so relevant. And before that, I think I was a little bit um, sort of discounted to all of that. And, you know, it takes a big loss to really wake you up, re-strategize, refocus, be aware that there is an emotional day where it can be hard on you, can pull you apart, can sort of question your whole strategy. Does that work? You know, and certain days, there's just liquidity events that can happen. You know, um, we, we all acutely aware of how quickly the markets can change. It's about adjusting to, you know, how mature you are at getting out of the positions and not fighting the tape and, and sort of being buried in a stock that keeps going down. And I can sort of attest to the fact where you can be in a big position and you can just day watch it day after day and go, but 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 there's a buy recommendation on the stock and it yeah. keeps going down. You know, I it's one of the big reasons I actually left um, institutional um, trading is because I used to see the technical of a stock and go, gosh, why is our company buying this stock when it's breaking down? Um, <laughs> um, and for, for months, you just, you know, you kept saying to the portfolio managers, but guys, this is a technical breakdown. And, um, you know, so getting out and understanding um, that this is a game of uh, win and lose. And understanding that the days will be some red, some green, but on average, if you can make, you know, I don't know, let's just say uh, 12 out of the 20 days profitable, you're a profitable trader, you are above sort of a 5% curve. And if you are consistent, you can even get into the top one or 2%. And, and, and that's sort of my, uh, you know, giveaway or takeaway um, to how you should be focusing on your trades, focusing on your emotion. Um, just weariness that, you know, there will be down days. Your goal is to limit those down days. Know where your stop losses are. Don't get emotionally carried into your following day. A lot of traders try and then rush back into the market the next day to try and make it all back. It doesn't always work like that. Just focus on your your, your strategy, focus on your intention, um, and everything should, you know, go your way over time. Very powerful stuff that you've just said there. That that right there was a soundbite of two minutes that every listener should probably skip back and listen to again because that was powerful. Thank you. 
Now, I want to talk to you a bit more about ShareNet because we did say at the beginning of the podcast that we would talk about this. Um, ShareNet, I didn't know, but it's been going over 30 years. And yes. and, and as a person with, you know, well, two decades, just, just over two decades in the market myself, I suppose I should have known that because ShareNet's been around. It was around when I started and it was, yeah, it's been around. But I think there's perhaps a lot of people out there don't know a lot about what ShareNet does. I mean, I think there's there's a wide perception out there that it's mainly a data company. There's so much more to it, and and I just want to give you the opportunity to tell us, tell the listeners a little bit more about ShareNet and what you actually offer from a broader products perspective. Yes, perfect. Um, as you rightly said, the the company is almost um, over thirty five years old. Uh, it was um, founded with the intention of being one of South Africa's actually first online trading platforms where, we, you know, the service of bringing live JSC data to the client, you know, that was also in the form of professional traders, large institutions, fund managers, um, was sort of the initiation of the business and subsequently grown into a wider range of uh, product offerings. You know, this includes a portfolio advisory services, um, financial intermediary solutions, wealth management, actively managed portfolios. We have a managed ETF portfolio strategy with a third party. Um, we also have our own corporate cash management where we can do foreign exchange. Um, and, you know, that also runs through into more of the financial planning advisory services uh, that we offer, including estate planning. Um, and, and that's quite a broad range of where and what ShareNet's has to offer. Um, we also have invested quite heavily into technology. Um, and what we've created is sort of two different offerings within the market. One is a ShareNet Labs uh, product where we provide to companies, institutions, brokers, any financial intermediary for that edge, uh, for that matter, uh, sort of cutting edge fintech and market data solutions. Um, that, that can be presented to them uh, on a monthly, quarterly basis, depending on what the client needs. Um, we've uh, built a product called uh, FullView. Uh, this essentially is a platform that helps wealth planning or um, where a client can go and upload all of their different type of assets that they own, um, certain listed ones, for instance, as well as non-listed. And from that viewpoint, we can then assimilate or assess what the client's wealth looks like, where they might need some help, or where they might need to sort of rebalance uh, their lifestyle, portfolio investments, you know, if they're not as tax efficient as they should be. You know, we try and use AI to sort of delve into the clients. And this is obviously at the client's consent. If they upload all the information, it's, it's, it's sort of an offering where we want to help and make sure that the client is on the right course. It's very difficult on a day-to-day -day basis to speak to financial advisors. Although we do offer that process, you can always contact us directly. Um, it's just a nice starting point for us to sort of look in and then say, listen, are you happy to have a call? We will help you and uh, hopefully a relationship um, can sort of ensue from that point of view. Okay. All right. Super. Well, it's fascinating to know that there's just actually so much more to ShareNet than what I'd always uh, given it credit for, I suppose. Um Fantastic. Well, it's been it's been brilliant speaking to you, Dylan. Thanks very much sure. for for sharing your insights. Um, I love the, the the simplicity with which you pro, you know approach the market, the discipline, the risk management, all of that. Some proper 
golden sound bites have come out of this podcast. So thank you very much for that. Thanks for your time. Uh, and and I look forward to catching up with you again on this podcast at a later date as yes, well. I, I would love to. And, and those um, that are listening to the podcast and want to try and follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Dill Bradley. That's D-I-L. Um, and um, yep, as I said, I put out content there as often as I can. If there's any questions or anyone that wants to reach out, you can reach out to me on Twitter or through ShareNet on our website. Yeah, super. Yeah, that's Dill Bradley, at Dill Bradley, um, as you say. And it's uh, it's got a little like a dice with buy, hold, sell on the on the icon if you're looking that's for great. it. Well worth following you on Twitter because, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, your your content is very interesting, very insightful, and uh, and, and listeners would do well to follow you. All right, Dylan. Excellent. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. And we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, God. Thanks for that. Cheers, eh? Cheers. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, the world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you leave a review on the app too. Until next time.